Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson, produced by WKXL in Concord, New Hampshire, podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. Matt Robeson and I are really pleased to speak with a special guest, a man of mystery, a man of intrigue, a man about town who knows everything about everything and is not shy about talking about it, the irrepressible Chris Ryan. Welcome back to Off the Record. Gentlemen, it's it's my pleasure to be here. Well, it's great. And uh, for those of you out there in uh, COVID land, uh, we are Zooming this. It's pretty wonderful to see a picture of Chris Ryan wearing his Boston Red Sox cap, no matter what the weather and how they're doing. He is a big Red Sox fan. And behind him, he's got he's got this picture of the boss, Bruce Springsteen, slamming away on his Telecaster. It makes for great visuals. Um, and you know, Springsteen is a guy who really cares about politics, and Chris Ryan is a guy who talks about politics. And yesterday, we got into it with Chris and Matt and me talking about what comes next for the Trump dynasty. I mean, Donald Trump has brought to the White House his entire family, Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, Jared, I, it's, it's just a cavalcade of characters. And, and the question arises, assuming for the sake of argument, and this is a pretty big assumption at this point, that Donald Trump actually leaves the White House on January 20th when Vice President-elect uh, Biden is uh, uh, Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris are sworn in. Assuming he leaves, what happens then? What is the landscape, the political landscape for the Republican Party and the Trump dynasty? Chris Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a big question as to how he is going to leave. I don't think there's any question that he is going to have to leave. We have a constitution and we have the mechanisms from which to uh, execute that uh, that constitution should need be. I think that the the most likely scenario for Trump is that you know he at some point over the holiday um, takes a vacation, two week vacation, and he just doesn't come back. Um, that would be my, my concept because he's not going to want to take the walk of shame, whether it's out to Marine one, whether it's to a, a motorcade, which is waiting for him. He is not going to want to do that because that's walking away physically. And you know, he has for many years been able to hide from, the realities of what he has created or the realities of circumstance. So there is no way in my view that he is going to participate in some sort of a ceremonial changing of the guard, whether it's participation just in the fact that he is leaving on the 20th of January, or there is in my view, no chance that he partakes in the way that we have seen in the past where you know, the, first lady and the president greet the president elect and the first lady, I guess she's not elected. So she's not whatever she is, the new first lady. Um, and then they ride together in the limo and they talk about things and they get out and they take some pictures. They listen to the speech. He's not going to do that. He's not going to listen to the speech. He's not going to do any of that. He may, he may, may have complained about John Lewis, not attending his uh, inauguration. And that being one of the reasons for him, you know, not honoring John Lewis the way that he should, but he is not going to attend Biden's inauguration and will be the only uh, president in my memory to not do that. So that's quite a 
picture. I mean, we're used in America to seeing the ceremonial pictures of the smooth transition of power. I mean, that has become a de rigueur factor in American life. On January 20th, we, we, we watch the crowds gather, we see the inauguration, and we see smiling, shaking hands, and all of that happy stuff. And you're, you're, you're telling us we're not going to get to see any of that. And I guess I agree with you. Robeson, what do you think? Yeah, I think Chris is totally right here. I mean, you know, we've talked before about the fact that Donald Trump has turned the Republican Party in the last four years into the Festivus Party, right? It's all about feats of strength and airing of grievances. And there's really no upside for him at this point to change course. I mean, if you think about it back to the calculus that went into his first run, and we don't know, right? We're not trying to delve into the psychology inside the mind of Donald Trump. That is- Well, a, why not? We could delve into the psychiatry of Donald Trump if we wish. We could- we Even could you, have... Vlad. Even oh, you, no. Vlad, don't this have a not, chance. No, no, no. This is now Sigmund Freud talking. I am, I am well known in the field of psychiatry, and I can tell you that I could diagnose Donald Trump merely from watching his behavior over the past four years, let alone his lifetime of corruption and misdeeds. But the past four years has shown us a narcissistic pathological liar with features of sociopathic personality disorder, which make it very likely that uh, Chris Ryan is uh, probably uh, probably correct about his unwillingness to be seen as a loser because the L word loser is the one thing that uh, that he is unable to accept. Loser, loser, yes, yeah, he is a loser. I, I just got to point out there, Sig, that uh, you just went from uh, famous uh, Jew to Nazi. Uh, which is also a, a really good summary of uh, the Trump administration. I mean, look, <laughs> my, my bottom line on on Chris's point is, think about this like a businessman, right? Think about think about options. He, the next three four weeks, he's just developing options. I mean, right now there is a chance, just like in his first run, that this all works, right? Like all of his uh, three hail mary passes in a row. I think is how Rick Hassan. Uh, the uh, the election scholar described it in the Atlantic. So, you know, maybe all his Hail Marys work, then great, he becomes president again. But if not, which is far more likely, um, right now, all of the appeals that he and Mike Pence and the rest of his administration are sending out to their fundraising list, urgently asking for money, they're not going to the legal defense fund. They're going to his newly formed super PAC, Save America. So, Right now, he's raising money for the future. He's positioning himself. And by the way, it only helps him in however this plays out uh, after January 20th to have a, a, a fired up, stoked up, angry base um, that's ready to buy his ties, buy his stakes, um, buy his new golf course. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree with Chris. I, I don't think there's any scenario where he gives any of that value away. But let me let me ask let me just ask a uh, ask a different a slightly different question about this. So before we even get into the question of what comes next for the Don and his his mob family, what does this period of time? Let's assume, just for the sake of argument, that we don't have a military coup, but we have this slow, disgraceful walk over the next 69 or 70 days to 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 uh, to his golf club in, in Mar-a-Lago without any participation in the ceremony, without appearing presidential in any way during the transition. Does that help or hurt him? 
and help or hurt his legacy or help or hurt the whatever uh, the dynastic succession is if there is one uh, is he hurting himself or is he just hurting us his his legacy at this point is a is a really interesting uh question you know what does the Donald Trump, and I've talked about this throughout his, the course of his time in office, what does the Donald Trump presidential library you know, consist of? Well, yeah, and, doesn't re, he doesn't read, so it's hard to have a library if you, haven't, if you don't read. To me, it's just kind of a gift shop. Like there's just, there's not going to be any actual museum. It's just, just the, it's just the gift shop and with some pictures out front and in the front window. It's probably um, an on, online gift shop. Yeah, that's, that's and it's what, all in Chinese because everything's made in China. So I think that that's going to be the, you know, the Trump presidential um, library and, and legacy at this point. So you're looking at somebody that um, is, under serious investigation in the Southern District of New York. Um, that's according to reports owes somewhere between you know, 700 million and a um, billion dollars over the next um, few years to, to creditors. So he's got a lot of problems at this point coming out of this um, as well. And, and the biggest question is how is he going to make money moving forward? I mean, his base is not one that is going to, and the COVID environment is not going to be conducive to his hotels and his golf courses being able to have any success. So how does he go about monetizing his base where he has this fervent amount of support, you know, millions of Americans who will spend money on him. So does he kind of go into being a, a touring act and have this, um, you know, side-by-side pseudo-presidency that is also a carnival that goes from, you know, town to town and um, hawks merchandise and does things of, of that nature. Um, does he have the ability and the wherewithal to uh, put together some sort of a, a cable network? Does he, you know, work with an existing infrastructure like an OAN or something to try to go up against Fox? Um and so you got to sell a lot of trinkets in order to pay off, you know, $700 million in, in debt. So he's in a lot of trouble at this point in time. And, you know, they, they, you look at their structure and how they just sought to monetize the presidency. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about that in coming um, you know, weeks and months, but I don't think that they aimed big enough in regards to that because they are, they are going to be facing significant debt and, you know, his casino um, failures may be something that even pales in comparison to his incredible indulgence and investment in high-end golf clubs, high-end um, hotels where, you know, those things are not there. His name and his brand are, are, are dead at this point in terms of the clientele that he needs and also the environment is not conducive to that. So it's going to be a challenge for him to, to make money. And uh, I think he's also kind of run out of, um, you know, financiers as well. Well, I, I, and just to jump in on Chris's last point, I mean, if you were looking at this from a business standpoint, you would ask him right now, you, you Chris Ryan, are his, uh, his business advisor. You are the Michael Cohen, um, aim high, um, of, uh, of Donald Trump. The first thing you do is you'd say, all right, well, well, 
you just went through his liabilities. What are your assets? Well, 88 million followers on Twitter, 31 million on Facebook, 23 million on Instagram, right? And the ability that he's stoking right now to rile them up and activate them with a tweet, with teasing in it's 2022, he teases that he's thinking about running. He releases a, a piece of classified information. So that's probably, you know, if you were looking to monetize, that's that's probably where you go, right? You, you, you're gonna rely on that committed MAGA base. But how do you make money off of them? And you, the in terms of the foreign governments and entities, you know, the access to power and, um, you know, the that aspect of things is going away. He is going to be a pseudo president who is not going to have any any power or real influence in, you know, in D.C. So how does he how does he go about monetizing that in traditional methods? Maybe he, quote unquote, writes a book um, and, uh, and is able to sell that to people. But he is going to have to um, he's going to have to figure out how he goes about utilizing because you're right those are assets that that digital platform is an asset but is he going to use it to sell product is he going to use it on a subscription basis for people to listen to a show again that's a lot of trinkets uh, to try to sell to turn around things and if he starts selling off assets and it becomes a fire sale then the assets lose value and his whole brand loses value um there's, as Paul was kind of mentioning there earlier, it's very difficult for me to see him coming out of this as anything other than a loser for you know, 15 to 20% of uh, Americans. And probably a even, he'll be even wide, more widely panned across the globe. Yeah, I know we've got to go to well, a break, but I, I, I will say that I think yeah. your point is is spot on, which is why it's probably so important for him in the next four to six weeks to not cop to being a loser, to never do the walk of shame and to kind of keep the, the lost cause alive um, so that he has a chance of monetizing that rabid following. Well, this is off the record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes. We're speaking with Chris Ryan, our special guest of the day. Chris used to co-host with me, but now Matt Robeson is co-hosting. Matt uh, writes for the Alternet and has a blog, amoreperfectunionforum.com. We're talking about, well, it's sort of the Trump transition or the lack of Trump transition. Uh, we're gonna take a break. Uh, you'll hear from some of the great folks who keep this station on the air. Don't go away. We'll be back with more Chris Ryan after this. We're back. It's Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes, produced by WKXL Podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. And we're talking with Chris Ryan Chris Ryan, who knows, knows a lot about a lot of stuff, and the very, very intelligent Matt Robeson, we're talking about the Trump transition. What happens in the days following January 20th when we assume that the president has waved his last presidential wave, has gone to Mar-a-Lago to relax for a little bit because it's been so stressful. The golf he's been playing just hasn't been as good as the golf he would like to play. And he's trying to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. 
Melania, remember, she's now negotiated a new prenup because she wouldn't leave New York without a new prenup. She's got her new prenup, so she's happy. The kids, well, the kids are off doing the thing, kinds of things that, that kids do. They're living the high life and wondering what dad is going to do. There's chatter about 2024, and we're wondering how is the Don going to pay off the 700 million to billion dollars he owes folks? And what about his legacy? How does he burnish that, that famous Trump hairdo into a legacy? We just don't know. But there's one thing for certain. I'd like to push back a little bit on the suggestion that, that Don will be in trouble because Donald Trump has shown an amazing ability throughout his life to somehow con his way back into the good graces of his creditors, to find money to fund his various nefarious enterprises, to, to, to skate through investigations of all kinds, to lawyer up and to live through it to fight another day. So I predict that with his recent ire about Fox News, because Fox has turned on him. Fox was the first network to call the presidential race for Joe Biden. What kind of charlatans must they be in Trump's mind? What kind of rage? He must be looking through a red fog of rage at Fox, thinking about how they stabbed him in the back after all he did for them. And he's going to show them because he's no loser. He's going to start his own network with Roger Stone and, and Steve Bannon and Paul Manafort and, and the, 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 the three amigos, Stone, Manafort, Bannon, uh, well, the four amigos, the four horsemen of the media apocalypse are going to start a network that is going to make Fox News look like a lullaby. So what do you think? So I think that um, that is something that could potentially happen. Um, I also think that he is going to, again, seek to monetize his candidacy or potential candidacy in 2024. So, you know, with super PACs, you can give yourself a cut. And so I think that um, yeah, his cut's going to be pretty substantive out of his, out of his super PAC. Like 95%. Yeah. So I think that that's going to, that's going to take place. Um, there's going to be a challenge in that um, there's going to be less secret service agents. So there's going to be less uh, golf carts he can charge uh, the American people for. Um, and that'll be a challenge because he's been making not a lot of money uh, in his terms, but a lot of money off of vacationing at his properties and using them as um, you know, white house. The, only, the best thing about getting a free steak is when you can also charge and make money off your steak. So we were paying him to eat and it was, it, it was a fabulous setup. And I, I really have, I have a lot of respect for him for doing that. Not only are you getting somebody else to pay for your water, but they're paying you to drink the water as well. It's a fat, it, it's, it's, it, it's, 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 it's just ingenious. <laughs> it's, it's ingenious. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to hurt him a little bit that he's no longer president and um, he can't charge the American people for his activities on his property. Um, and, you know, the question, too, is, is there going to be a transition from him to his kids heading into the 2024 race? So Trumpism is 
unique to the individual. Um, there is not going to be anybody that is a beneficiary outside of potentially a Trump family member of this movement. Mike Pence is done. Like there's no Mike Pence is done. There's not going to be any any presidency for for him unless um, you know he decide Trump decides to resign and makes Pence president, and that's not going to happen either. I, everybody's like, oh, you know, he's going to have Pence pardon him. And no, he's not, because that would be admitting that he has done something wrong. And that's not good for your brand either. So you'd rather risk the chance of actually being, um, you know, uh, indicted for something or actually having to face trial than admit that you have done something wrong and be pardoned proactively. Um, that is just not something that I could possibly see him doing. Maybe they pardon his kids. If the kids want to pardon, you get a pardon, whatever. Um, that may make sense. But Trump himself is not going to get a pardon, uh, in my view. So uh, the question is, where does Trumpism move from here? Does it move um, to other individuals, which I don't think it will? Is he going to, in fact, if he is of health, um, run himself in 2024? I would say yes, that he would run again if he is capable of doing so. If not, he will hand it over to one of the kids. And the question is, which one? Yeah, I mean, I, there are two really important things you said in here, and I want to I want to bookmark one of them to turn to Paul. This question of will he get uh, some kind of a pardon? Will the Biden administration pursue uh, some kind of a, a, a legal <laughs> absolution here? Because Paul, you actually prosecuted white collar crimes in New Hampshire um, under David Souter, um, and you have been a member of Congress. So I would be really interested to get your perspective about what the Biden administration will do and should do on that question vis-a-vis -vis Trump himself. The only thing I'll add you know, on the other point to, to Chris's comment is that I actually wrote an article about this for Alternate a few months ago where I spoke to a bunch of Republican insiders, kept them all off the record, anonymous, um, because no one wanted to comment about Trump at that point on the record. Um, but I asked them, you know, what is the future of the Republican Party after Trump? And many of them pointed to this question of that, that Chris raises, is the Trump franchise transferable to one of his kids? And they really were not sure. I mean, 2016 showed that party elites don't necessarily decide the nomination in the Republican Party. Um, if they did, we would never have had Donald Trump in the first place. But they honestly, truly did not know. They observed that the traditional swim lanes in the Republican Party, you know, conservative, moderate, uh, you know, protectionist, et cetera, had been kind of blown apart by Trump in 2016. So there's going to be a resorting of the, of the whole party. But <clears throat> there are a lot of people looking on with great interest, Nikki Haley, Tom Cotton, et cetera, to this question of, do you see a Don Jr. or an Ivanka pick up? The thread, and at this point, I, I think we just don't know. But I'll, but Paul, I'll, I'll defer over to you. You can pick up the thread on either of those that you want. But I, I'd, I'd love to hear your prosecutorial and political view on uh, whether Trump is in for a pardon. So uh, let's deal with the with the pardon business first. Um, there is, according to uh, the Republicans and Trump, uh, there seems to be they would they would like there to be an open question as to whether or not Donald Trump as president can pardon himself as president for crimes and misdeeds done um, that might be uh, prosecuted federally. Remember, for our listeners, there are, there are two levels 
for simplicity's sake, of prosecution. There are federal laws and federal pros prosecutions which are undertaken uh, through the Department of Justice uh, and the United States Attorney's offices for federal crimes. Then there's a huge body of federal criminal law. And then there are state level prosecutions and uh, state attorney generals and state courts. And the pardon power of the president, whatever that may be and to whatever extent um, it may be used, only extends to pardoning people who are charged with federal crimes. And so uh, one thing we can expect is a raft of pardons from Trump for his associates and who knows who is on his list for pardons, but we're gonna see the day before he leaves office um, hundreds I, I predict, of pardons. I mean, just a huge raft of pardons of all kinds of people. It's going to be a get-out-of-jail-free card uh, that nobody's ever seen the likes of before because I'm sure Kanye West is telling him who, who to let out, and he's got the advice of Stone and Bannon and Manafort. So um, uh, a lot of people are going to get out of jail. I wonder who's at the top of Manafort's list. Yeah, we'll, we'll hmm. find probably <laughs> Vladimir Putin. But, but you yeah, one person who is not going to be getting a pardon, of course, is his former attorney, uh, Mr. Cohen, um, who's not on the happy, happy to Donald list. But the real question uh, is, can can the president pardon himself? And it's only open because nobody's ever tried it um, <laughs> and nobody's ever had to worry about it before. But Donald, Donald Trump does have to worry about it. And Given, given what Donald Trump has tried, who knows, he may try to, to pardon himself on the theory that nobody's ever done it before and the Constitution is, 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 has never even contemplated it. But so that, that I could see. Like yeah. I could see Trump trying to pardon himself and then being like, yeah, you know, I just had to do this because all the crazy Democrats out there and they're going to try to charge me with the things that aren't even true. And if I get the wrong judge and he could totally sell a pardoning of himself, him resigning in order for Pence to to yeah, pardon him yeah. that he can't do like you but, can he can but, sell the, the pardoning of himself. But uh, there is a, a an axiom in the law that has been around since uh, the Magna Carta. Uh, back in the 1300s and carried all the way through English law, which formed the basis for our jurisprudence that says, you know, uh, uh, you can't be your own judge and jury. Um, and that is an important maxim that may, uh, I think, and does prevent a person from pardoning himself. Otherwise, we'd have no jail business, we'd have no crime business, prosecutors in the courts would go out of business because every every person would say, okay, go ahead and convict me, I'm pardoning myself. I mean- so, But Paul, if he does, who would decide that? Well, who, ultimately- who, who would weigh in on whether that was legitimate? Uh, ultimately, it would probably be resolved by his Supreme Court and not even his Supreme Court, not even Amy Coney Barrett could allow a president to pardon himself. So How about I the do, Biden piece, though, where yeah. I think this is a key point. Do, does Biden does Biden step up and say to, you know, privately to his attorney general or even publicly that we're moving on from Donald Trump and we're not going to spend four years uh, redoing obstruction of justice or a, a trial of him now that he's it, no longer president and he 
in the past, the Supreme Court has said that a president could not be um, convicted uh, of crimes while as president. But obviously, once he is no longer president, that no longer takes place. So if you're Biden, in my view, you kind of let everything go and just move and just move forward. I tend to agree with you, Chris. I think that given Biden's um, posture, unless it's something, unless it's something absolutely yeah, Huge. well, yeah. So whatever Trump's federal crimes, given the pain the country has been in for four years, given Biden's proclivity towards healing, his entire theme these days is about healing the country. It seems it seems uh, smart to me, actually, for Biden to say we're not going to prosecute this man federally. Uh, the less said about him, the better from our standpoint. Um, uh, I'm, not, I'm directing the uh, DOJ not to, not to pursue any criminal investigations. And if he were to be convicted uh, federally, I would, I would pardon him. That fits with Biden's theme. The it only also, thing I'll say to that, Paul, though, is that he would potentially run afoul under that scenario. Well, I agree with you politically 100%. He would run afoul of the notion that he as the president would be directing the prosecution or non-prosecution mm -hmm. of his political opponents. Mm -hmm. I, I understand. That feels just, dangerous. I, yeah, but however it's, a, okay, let's just say, however it's accomplished from a political standpoint, while, by, while Democrats would howl, uh, there would be a sigh of relief uh, in the country that says, let, we are just moving on. Uh, whatever the guy is stolen, he stole whatever he did, he did. One way or another, we're just going to move on. So from a political standpoint, without getting into the nitty gritty of, of what signals could be sent and how it would be accomplished, it, it, I think it's more in the end, overall, a plus for Biden, not to for the feds not to prosecute Trump uh, for the misdeeds that he may have committed. What it also does, however, is, it leaves a very clear pathway for the New York Attorney General, who has an ongoing criminal investigation and investigations, plural, of Trump and his family to pursue Donald Trump. So this is not somebody who is going to be free from worry about criminal prosecution. Uh, it's just, it's something that is very much going to be alive for him. And whatever he does in terms of trying to build a media empire or, or trying to pass off Trumpism to one of his kids. Um, and, and remember, just briefly on that before we go to a break, when it comes to Trumpism, this really is the kind of cult of personality, a cult of celebrity, a cult of an entertainer, a unique pathological twist on what it means to be uh, an American success story that is pretty uniquely Donald's. And it strikes me that he probably wants to come back and run in 2024. He's probably going to try to set himself up to do that. But if he passed it off to anybody, if he passed it off to anybody, it would have to be Don Jr., the slick smarmy, heir to the throne apparent. In in 10 seconds or less, Chris Ryan, Matt Robeson, do you agree that it's Don Jr. who's the heir apparent if there's a handoff? 
I don't uh, agree entirely. I think that um, he would probably be positioned the best in order to do so, but he's not, he's not Donald Trump. He does not have the gravitas. He's not his dad. Uh, he, Don, Donald Trump was able to push off that he was self-made and a man of the people. And Don Jr. is, is not going to be able to do that. Matt Robeson, five seconds, yes or no. Don Jr. is Sonny. Eric is Fredo. Ivanka is Michael. You've heard it here on Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes, produced by WKXL Podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more Off the Record after this. Chris Ryan, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Off the Record. Paul Hodes and Matt Wilkerson, produced by WKXL and podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. We are really pleased to welcome Peter Emerson to the show. Peter is a Democratic insider who has worked on presidential campaigns uh, since 1972, has worked on the transition for three Democratic administrations. He's an expert in Homeland Security, uh, a frequent commentator on major media, uh, and uh, among other things, has been a scholar in residence at Harvard University. And for those of you who are really interested in trivia, he once was a senior advisor to Captain Jacques Cousteau and is certified by the NOAA as an aquanaut. And uh, deep diving is something Peter knows how to do. We welcome Peter Emerson to Off the Record. Peter, good to have you. Delighted to be with you, and I am wearing a scuba tank, so I should uh, not run out of breath for this conversation. You're talking about coming back from the Trump administration. I think That's you need more really of a hazmat yeah. suit, but uh, that'll work. <laughs> okay. Well, big diving bell, big diving bell. So here we are. Um, we are uh, 69 or 70 days. I've lost count from the inauguration of President-elect Joseph Biden. There is a transition of some kind going on, at least there is from the Biden side. Uh, what's what? What do you see, Peter? What's going on in this transition? What what should people know, and and how is this going to play out? Well, let's start with the former, and that is that on the Biden side, as you pointed out, it has been since this summer, and continues to be a full blown traditional historical transition. People have volunteered their time. Transition teams, in fact, were announced yesterday. And it's all about understanding the current status of all the government agencies, particularly in national security, and being able on day one, that would be 12.01 p.m. on January, 20th, uh, January 20th, 2021, to take over the reins of government with the primary concern being the protection of the United States. We're at a particularly vulnerable time always in these transitions to foreign enemies because a democracy is never clean or smooth. And consequently, there's always opportunities in the transition for foreign entities to make inroads in disrupting our democracy. However, if we look back at the transition between President Obama and President-elect Donald Trump, the sad thing was that even though the Obama people provided all of the briefing books and were willing to sit down and explain every aspect 
of the government, from the most significant cabinet positions to the least uh, regulatory agencies. The Trump people refused. They had no interest. That's continued in that, as we know from press reports, and I know from people who are on these transition teams for President-elect Biden, the same thing has happened in that the Trump people are denying uh, President-elect Biden's team access to anything. But worst of all, and the most troubling aspect of it is, that generally the General Services Administration, which is really the real estate agency for the U.S. government, they handle all of the real estate of the U.S. government all over the world. And with that comes office space, obviously comes with computer networks, telephone systems, all sorts of things like that. They would have already, in any traditional and normal transition, have been authorized to begin to provide not just office space, secure computer lines, secure telephone lines, cell phones for the incoming president-elect transition team, but they would have also been um, active in picking up the costs, the salaries of those people who have been working on transition for several months, and now it's a full-time job, and that's not been allowed by uh, Trump. On top of that, if we've learned today, normally world leaders would be reaching out to the president-elect and looking forward to working with them and understanding what their policies will be, and equally important for the President Biden-elect team to understand where things stand with world leaders, whether they be friend or foe. Apparently, the State Department under Trump is not allowing any of those messages to be passed through. Fortunately, Joe Biden, by the very nature of his long, long history in public service, is reaching out to world leaders on his own, and they're reaching out to him. It's not entirely sufficient, because oftentimes trying to find a way to connect is very different than if you have access to the White House communication system, which normally would be the case. So what we are looking at right now is there is no transition vis-a-vis Trump. I've actually heard from reports in the Senate, which manages the inaugural, and it's by the majority party, which currently is the Republican, and Senator Roy Blount, Jr., is the chairman of the Joint Congressional Inaugural Committee, that they're not doing anything either because they've been told to prepare for a Trump inauguration. So where does this go? It goes wherever Donald Trump wants to take it for the time being, and then the hope and expectation is that patriots at the Supreme Court, law enforcement, and maybe even possibly within the Republican Party will stand up to protect the democracy, because right now what we have is treason. Treason is not just a betrayal to a foreign entity. Treason is also a betrayal of a principle, of a commitment, of an oath, or even a friendship, or to family. And on all those counts, Donald Trump and a number of his people, including Secretary Pompeo, uh, Attorney General Barr, are now guilty, are now guilty of treason. So, Peter, can you give our listeners a little bit of a sense of 
how bad the damage is from this gap that's being created by the uh, recalcitrance of the Trump administration. It seems to me that one of the big differences between this forthcoming transmission of bringing in the Biden folks and the transition of bringing in the Trump folks, and this was well documented in the Michael Lewis book, The Fifth Risk, is that the incoming Trump people were very inexperienced. It was, it was sort of this hodgepodge collection of bumblers and grifters on the make, whereas it seems like the announced people who, are, who are, have roles in the transition and would prospectively have roles in the government, a lot of whom you know very well and work with, are very experienced hands in government. So how, how big a gap is being created here? Is this the kind of thing that the experience of the Biden team can make up for? Is there, is there going to be a, a substantive fallout from uh, the Trump folks uh, being so obstinate? Yes, to both. That is that the Biden team, and starting with the president-elect in particular, has great expertise and great experience, particularly Vice President Biden having served literally as a co-partner with President Obama for eight years. But a lot of things change over four years. Relationships have changed. Policies have changed. Security matters have changed dramatically over the four years that Trump has been in office. So it is a huge hindrance and highly dangerous for Trump to play with our democracy and the safety of Americans at a critical time. The most important aspect of all of this, though, is that hundreds of thousands of people are going to die between now and January 20th and beyond. That is because Donald Trump has made it clear, both by policy and by verbal statements, he does not believe there is a pandemic. He's done nothing to prepare the federal government to handle the upswing in this virus and the consequential uh, deaths. So on top of everything else that Vice President Biden and his team is facing is the fact that they have to sit by when they have a plan, when everyone agrees in the scientific community that the Biden plan for dealing with the pandemic is rooted in science and fact and will have a positive impact in saving lives. They have to sit and watch as thousands and thousands of more people are going to die of this virus while Donald Trump does nothing except try to find a way to maintain power. And the reason for that, beyond the psychological profiles that both his niece have given and psychiatrists have given over the years, is that on the day that he loses presidential immunity, he will be indicted by at least New York State, if not several other states. He can't, as you know, be pardoned from any state crimes. And there are ongoing investigations into uh, financial fraud by both him and his family to begin with. So it sounds a little bit unusual to say the least and beyond <laughs> unusual, uh, and I'm being circumspect, which is very unlike me, I, 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 I heard or read this morning remarks by retired uh, General uh, McCaffrey uh, in speaking with Ari Melber. McCaffrey raised an alarming prospect. He said, you know, he'd heard that uh, Tim McCain and others were looking at this play by, by Trump as... Um, uh, a play to secure his legacy or something like that. But McCaffrey said that the moves that the president 
uh, had made in replacing top Pentagon and intelligence officials uh, smacked of something far more nefarious. Um, uh, and it, uh, essentially, McCaffrey said, an attempted or uh, an attempt or planning for a coup uh, using the military and intelligence to support his crazy effort to stay in power. Um, have you heard anything about that? And if so, what are Democrats uh, to do? Democrats have to be extremely careful, which is against, uh, in some ways, their instinct in that although Democrats tend to be timid, they oftentimes aren't particularly careful. And by that I mean statements like Tim Kaine and others who are suggesting sort of let's forgive and forget and move on. Oh, this is just a bad uh, period for Donald Trump's mind and he'll get over it and he'll get out are just deadly wrong. They obviously don't understand the psychology of this man. I was on a conference call with four psychiatrists yesterday who said that if this man, Donald Trump, walked into their office, they're all emergency medicine as well as psychiatrists, if they walked into his emergency room, they would have him committed as a danger to self and to others. So I do see and hear rumors of Donald Trump trying to amass private militias. We know at the Department of Homeland Security that there is an informal group that reports directly to the Secretary of DHS and to the President that seem to have shown some of their um, personnel out in the Northwest during the riots. And so there's a concern both of what McCaffrey mentioned this morning there's also the other concern is who enforces? Who enforces the election results? Who enforces the electoral votes that will make a president-elect uh, Biden the true and authenticated president-elect? Who enforces the removal of Donald Trump from the White House? What happens if there's a swearing-in on January 20th for president-elect Biden, but Trump refuses to leave the White House. Who's going to enforce that? And on top of that, we have the danger of the Supreme Court, now much in the pocket of Donald Trump, likely willing to support him. That seems to be John Roberts' pattern, that on matters of votes and money in politics, he stands with the far right. And so consequently, I have yet to have anyone explain to me who does the enforcement, who goes to Trump and says, you're leaving now. I happen to think it may well be the Secret Service, because the reports I've gotten from friends in the Secret Service and recently retired is that they have been treated abominably, horribly, by Trump and his family. And the final straw was when he was at Walter Reed Hospital and decided he would put his security detail at risk, their very lives at risk, to get in the car and go wave to 50 people that were outside and come back in. So I can see the Secret Service playing a role in escorting Trump out of the White House. But in terms of the military, I don't have any faith in them. 
I know that they have been interviewed by various Democratic senators and posed the question, Constitution or the president, and they've all said Constitution. But let's remember that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff accompanied the president, Trump, to Lafayette Park to crush demonstrations. They weren't violent and joined the president in what would have been from just the military oath of allegiance, illegal. He also, through the commander of an aircraft carrier, basically took him out, fired him, because that captain wanted to protect his crew from the virus. So I don't have any trust in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and not the least of which is neither of them, the chairman or the vice chairman, went to any of the service academies. So they have no concept of the oath of honor that people who do attend those academies subscribe to and actually try to practice their whole lives. These are, We're I think, talking... our Princeton and Yale graduates who have no sense of loyalty at all. Peter, we're going to have to leave it there. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson, produced by WKXL. We've been talking to Peter Emerson. And folks, we're going to have to leave it with a scary thought about what's coming up in the next 70 days. Peter, thanks for joining us. But that's it for us. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll be back next week. <laughs>